as the stars came in, grown men and women were just screaming, screeching. Some people were in tears as these people were coming in. And they wanted me to join a gang. And this is when New York City didn't really have real gangs. Uh, and they were called the Playboy Nomads. And I was like, y'all not going nowhere. That's, I mean, that's, you know, courtesy. Courtesy, New York courtesy. Uh, really, I mean, honestly, I was like, oh, that was, that, was, that was nice. And that's a phenomenon called time dilation. And if anybody's ever had a man explain the movie Interstellar to them, it also works the other way around. It's FAQ NYC Presents, where the only podcast in the only city in the world breaks into its usual programming to bring you new, different, limited series. I'm Alex Brooklyn, the pod's founding executive producer, here with Harry Siegel for the second of three episodes of Thirst, featuring yarns about a New York Minute from a storytelling event we hosted earlier this year. In this episode, you'll be hearing first from two native New Yorkers, Queens and FAQ's own Katie Hona and then the comedian and Bronx native, David Ray Martinez. They're followed by two transplants, J.T. Price, a fiction writer and editor of the Brazen Head Review, and finally, a story about Alex from her better half, Adam Levy. Let's jump right in with Katie after this programming note. All right, listeners, we need your help. FAQ NYC depends on you. We're part of a nonprofit newsroom called The City, which means we rely on donations. And it's getting toward the end of the year, which means the clock is ticking. We need to raise as much as we can before January 1st in order to start 2024 off strong. So please, if you've enjoyed listening this year, make a contribution now at thecity.nyc slash give. That's thecity.nyc slash give. I'm going to keep going while you pull out your phone and enter that URL which, again, is thecity.nyc slash give. Thecity.nyc slash give. Great. A donation of any amount will help us because we're a small nonprofit, so every dollar goes a long way. Chip in what you can at, you guessed it, thecity.nyc slash give. That's right. It's thecity.nyc slash give. Thank you, truly. And now... To the stories. Uh, Katie Honan is uh, Queens, is New York City, the whole thing, is a reporter, a citizen, a pretty fabulous person, a valued member of the city, the newsroom, and the city, the place, and she's got a story to tell. Hey, Katie. Perfect. So I know Alex talked about crime and craziness and all that stuff, but I just, you know, and, and Harry's intro of me, before I was any of those things, I was just a little girl in Queens who found herself to be really obsessed with the ABC soap opera, All My Children, which filmed here in New York City, so it is relevant. I don't know if it's a New York Minute, but this is a little bit of a story about self-realization. So I started watching the show when I was like eight years old. And a lot of people get into these soaps because of their mom or their grandma watch. But for me, I just got into it randomly, which always really perplexed my mom. She was like, why is she so into the show? But it really consumed my life at eight years old. 
I started watching in the summer. So then, of course, I had to watch when school started. I convinced my dad to tape it for me on the VCR. And then, of course, when I would get in trouble, they would say, we're not going to tape all my children this week. And I would cry and cry until I realized I could just learn how to tape it myself by reading the VCR manual, which I did. Um, I subscribed to Soap Opera Digest. I got my mom to do all this stuff for me. I actually joined the fan club, which consisted of a woman in New Jersey four times a year mailing I don't know how many people were in the fan club, mailing a little manila envelope of photos from events they did at Blondie's Bar up on the Upper West Side. I asked my mom at 10 years old if we can go to Blondie's. She said no. Um, All of this stuff, it it really became like an obsession for me. Um, The characters, the people, the storylines, I would, once we got the internet, I would run online to forums. You can get spoilers and all this kind of stuff. And obviously the peak of this was... um, the Super Soap weekend, which was in Disney World, I asked my parents if we can go. They said absolutely not. But the second best thing was to go to the All My Children Fan Fest, which was held every year at the Marriott Marquis in Times Square. And my mom one day surprised me at the end of the school year. I just graduated the eighth grade. It was Labor Day weekend of this coming summer, right? So I was about to go into high school, and she surprised me with two tickets to this All My Children fan fest, and I was completely ecstatic. I was convinced that going to this would change my life. I would meet people. I would meet the stars. Maybe they'd, I, my dream was to be a writer for the soaps. I thought maybe they'd meet me and they'd want me to be a writer. Maybe I'd figure it out. I made my mom take me to King's Plaza Mall to get an outfit for it. I was so excited. The day, of, <laughs> the day happens. We drove, my dad drives us in. He drops us off. We go up this glass elevator of the Marriott Marquis, and I'm so excited because I was truly convinced that this was going to be such a defining moment of my life of meeting who? Haley and Mateo, Erica Kane, Brooke English, whoever I was going to meet, I knew this was going to change my life. We get to the big room, and we're seated, and I'm slowly realizing that everyone in that room was the absolute biggest fucking weirdo I'd ever seen (laughs) in my life. As the stars came in, grown men and women were just screaming, screeching. Some people were in tears as these people were coming in. One guy at our table had what looked like a voodoo doll of Mateo, who's Mark Consuelos' character. Some guy had a scrapbook that I later realized looked like a manifesto for a mass shooter. It was just the biggest weirdos I'd ever met in my entire life. And of course... I mentioned this earlier, my mom was always a little uncomfortable about how much I was into the show because she didn't get it and she was suffering through it. The food was horrible. We had to wait online to meet everybody. And at one point towards the end, I remember going to the bathroom. It was my first time at the hotel and I went to the bathroom and I was washing my hands and I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I'm thinking, you know, I started high school in a couple days. And as I washed my hands, I'm like, you know, you're here too. So, like, what does that make you in this grand theme? If this is your, if, if, if the guy next to you talking about these people like he was friends with them is weird, you're also weird. So we finished it out. We had bad dry desserts, and we all got our pictures with our stars and everything. And I just remember going down the elevator with my mom, this beautiful glass elevator, and I said, Mom, can you never tell anybody ever that we did this? And without hesitation, she said, sure. 
And I really never told anybody for years that I did this. I kept watching the show. I will say I kept watching the show. And in some ways, Brooke English, who was a reporter in Pine Valley, Pennsylvania, inspired me to become the muckraking journalist that I like to think that I am, although Brooke did go to jail to protect a source. I haven't yet. But that was me, and that was my, that was my New York story. It, it occurred to me today that I should probably finally admit to a room full of people that at 13, I, my mom spent money to be around a lot of freaks that for many years I was one of. So that is my New York minute. Thank you. Uh, next up we have David Ray Martinez, who is another person that I met at Brazen Head, the secret bookstore. Um, he's an incredible comedian. He's a really funny guy. And honestly, he's kind of like a hype man for life. <laughs> he, um, he's a person that you hang out with and they just, they're just, they make the world at large more fun. Um, so for our New York Minute theme, and I'm really, really happy that he could make it. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but Harry and I kind of threw this together last minute because I was about to, Oh, no, no. I mean, it, it took a lot of arduous planning. Um, but I'm really glad he could make it. David Ray Martinez. Oh, yeah. How y'all doing? Oh, New York Minute. So many minutes, especially when you're born here. Uh, where do I start? Um, it's a weird, it's a weird thing uh, when you guys say New York Minute because my mother and father are from Panama, which means I'm from the Bronx, and uh, it's it's weird growing up, um, especially back then in the '70s and '80s and '90s in the Bronx because my mother and father were immigrants, and um, my, and my mother's super Catholic, so all those things together just make a very paranoid household. And um, so since my mother and dad were immigrants and didn't have their papers, uh, when people would knock on the door, my mother would be like, shh, turn off the TV, everything. Like, I'm like, Ma, they would have already heard <laughs> the TV and the washing machine going. Like, they know someone's home. But she would be like, don't answer the door, right? And very paranoid about everything. And, and it was just a weird, like I said, it was a weird time for me growing up as a little kid, worrying about, is someone going to take your mother away? Because she would always, uh, she'd be like, so she like, don't talk to strangers because it could be somebody who knows somebody who's going to take your mommy away. Do you want that? Do you want that? Do you want them to take your mommy? I don't care if they take your daddy, but, <laughs> but I don't want them to take me, okay? And I'd be like, I got it. I don't want them to take you away either. And, um, and, and she, would always, she would always reiterate that. And, and, she, and my mother was, um, is, she's still with us, is an amazing cook. Uh, when I say she could cook, she can cook. Like, people go... What's the best meal you've ever had? And I'm like, eh, my mama. <laughs> I know a restaurant in the city has touched it yet, and I eat a lot of places. And 
my mother worked in a lot of Catholic places, uh, Catholic churches on Morningside, 125th and Morningside. And at that place, they had a, a shelter also. And my mother would make me, literally make me hand out like apple pies, the little apple pies and be like, don't eat it. I'm like, ma, come on. How do you want me to stay like a plus size man, right? Like she, <laughs> she would give me these beautiful apple pies and be like, give it to the people who need it. I'm like, they don't need diabetes. <laughs> And she would literally have me, you know, give the, the people in the shelter apple pies and toothbrush toothpaste and things like that. And she would make me work in the community constantly. Um, and, and during that time, you know, you know, back in the early, early 90s, it was real rough out here. You know, your, your friends, moms and people were on crack and stuff. I mean, the first time I discovered drugs, I, I've never done drugs, but I've discovered drugs uh, because me and my friend Anthony Stuyvesant, we were playing on his mother's table with G.I. Joe's. I was Storm Shadow, his was uh, Snake Eyes, and we didn't know we were playing inside aluminum foil and it was a bunch of white powder. <laughs> and we were just like, yeah, G.I. Joe, hero, hero. <laughs> And his mother came in and said, what the fuck y'all doing in my shit? And we was just like, we're playing G.I. Joe's. We're having fun. We're playing G.I. Joe's. She's like, get the, you know. And then when I told my mother, she like, you never going over there again. <laughs> she give you coffee? <laughs> I was like, nah, I don't think that was coffee. Uh, but, my, but my mother, she, you know, like I said, she was a great cook or is a great cook. She cooked for like Colonel Connor, like any super Catholic person who would come into town, they would ask for my mother's food. And, you know, she, she still like, she, in her head, she's still like, uh, she's 82. She's like, I should sell cupcakes. <laughs> like, that's her big thing. If, <laughs> if Starbucks can sell it for $4, I can sell it for three. And I'm like, okay, ma, I don't. I'm like, whatever you want to do, I'm behind you. Um, but she, she was always a champion for me. Like, I got into a really, quote-unquote, funny, uh, not funny school, but, uh, uh, you know, whatever, PS31 in the Bronx. It was the castle in the Bronx. Huge castle on 144th Street in the Grand Concourse where all the special kids from the Bronx would go. And, uh, and she was so proud of me. You know, she was so happy that I went there. Um, but she did let me, my brother pick out my clothes, and it was really bad. Uh, <laughs> Because uh, New York City kids are the most beautiful, abusive people. <laughs> so since it's a smart school, and this is like 86, 87, and this is like Miami Vice time, so, so I, my brother bought me Puma sneakers and Lee jeans that are not in style anymore. And these kids are all in their Jordans and Nikes and sweatsuits and tracksuits. And I come into class, and I remember this one kid, he was like, shout, shout, Lisa played out. And then, like, his homegirl was like, Lisa played out. These are the jeans you can do without. Come on, David. We're talking to you. Come on. And in my mind, the teacher came in and said, do doom, do doom. But... <laughs> I know that didn't happen, but in my head, I feel like that's how it should have happened. Um, so, and in this same school, we went to the next school, which was uh, JHS uh, 149, Clarkson in the Bronx also. 
And they wanted me to join a gang. And this is when New York City didn't really have real gangs. Uh, and they were called the Playboy Nomads. And I was like, y'all not going nowhere. <laughs> and you're not Playboys. And, and these kids, three kids, fought me in the bathroom. And I wound up beating them up. And after beating them up, they called my mother. And my mother said, my son don't touch nobody first, okay? Did he touch them first? And they're like, we have three kids. One has a broken nose. One has a black eye. And the other one's stomach hurts. Uh, we just, and she's like, well, I don't care. Did they touch him first? Sound like three versus one. How can he beat up three people? And they were like, well, ma'am, can you? And she's like, I'm not coming in there because I'm working. Send my son home. And I was just like, I didn't touch him. <laughs> I, like, I, I was like, I didn't touch them first. They touched me in the bathroom like one kid peed on my sneaker. And, you know, they were already played out sneakers. So I had a fight, right? Um, but basically, you know, and now I have a 16-year-old son, and it's, and it's weird because he's very, like, nonchalant about everything. And I'm just like, geez, like, New York, I don't know, my personal opinion, has gotten very, uh, very uh, delicate, dainty. I would say petite. <laughs> um, it's just very, yeah, it's very soft. My son told me he doesn't drink tap water. And I'm a single dad, and I'm like, I did that. All right. <laughs> He's like, I don't drink tap water. I'm like, that's what made me, man. That's what <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, I love this city so much. I live in Harlem. I'm trying to rebrand it as the Harlems. I'm going to talk to you because we need a rebrand. <laughs> I need my property to go up. <laughs> oh, welcome to the Harlems, you know? Doesn't that sound good? You want to take the jitney to the Harlems? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. This this city has too many stories. Uh, I guess one last story. Uh, I've met a lot of uh, famous people. I used to work at the Waldorf Astoria for 20 years, and I worked at the Mark Hotel for a couple of years. And at the Mark Hotel, you know, I fuck people's names. I don't give a fuck who you is. Uh, that's how I was raised. Everyone takes a dump. That's how my brother taught me. Everyone takes a dump. You treat everybody well. Everybody's a cool person. So I'm in an elevator with this guy. Definitely has, like, secret service. And if you've ever been in the market, elevators are very tiny. Like, literally, you're, you know, if they're too short, I'm rubbing it, my titties in their face. Like, that's what, it's a small elevator. So I'm in an elevator with the secret service and uh, this old, uh, old white gentleman. And I go, damn, brother, you looking sharp. You better go kill them ladies out there, brother. You know? And he laughs. He's like, thank you very much, sir. And then, like, I'm in a lobby. And everybody, you know, and I was like, yo, have a great day. And I pat him on the back, and Secret Service is like, whatever. They, they know I don't give a fuck. Uh, <laughs> so they go on about the day, and they're like, David, you know who you patting on the back? I'm like, nah, some old white dude. <laughs> I call everybody brother. He's like, you know that's Prince Philip, right? <laughs> I'm like, Prince Philip who? Because <laughs> we had princesses and princes and sheiks. I've drank with the Sheik of Qatar. Like, I, people, people love me. So I just was like, I'm like, ain't he a brother? <laughs> He's going to tell somebody later that a black guy called him a brother. He's going to feel good about that. You know, so 
You know, uh, one last thing. Sharon Stone, I got her glasses fixed. So I took it, I took it upstairs. So I was like, damn, girl, we some blind bitches. And she was like, you right. And when she came downstairs, I said, we should call ourselves BB, you know, for blind bitches. And we both laugh. And she comes downstairs in the middle of, like, Fashion Week, a bunch of people downstairs taking pictures. She goes, bye, BB. <laughs> and everybody's like, what? Why she call you BB for? And I'm like, you know, mind your business. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for letting me talk about random shit. Give it up for Alex and Harry. Alex and So uh, the next storyteller is a really good friend of mine. Again, Brazenhead alumni. Uh, J.T. Price is a fiction writer and an editor and is actually one of the forces behind the Brazenhead Review, which is a small magazine. Um, they're going to have a party next week. Uh, welcome, J.T. Thanks, Alex and Harry. And all y'all for being here, and um, yeah, Brazenhead Review, next Saturday, Black Spring Books, uh, 8 p.m. I'm sure you'll all be there, but yeah, come on out. Um, but yeah, this is a story about uh, New York uh, courtesy, I guess. I met New York uh, three or four minutes uh, of my life, but because I'm a, a fiction writer, I'm gonna include a, uh, a prologue, an epilogue, brief. Uh, so this is about a year ago, and uh, my birthday is I'm Aaliyah, so late August. On, my, on the night of my birthday, I'd been going out. Um, I'd been going out a lot last year, like maybe three, four nights a week, uh, sometimes longer, uh, some, sometimes more, uh, up you know, pretty late. And uh, thank you. And uh, so I, you know, just kind of accustomed to out late, accustomed to talking to people at all hours, very kind of uh, inured to it. Uh, on my birthday, I was at a bar on Smith Street, and there was a huge wedding party there. I was with a bunch of writers. It's probably three in the morning, four in the morning, uh, you know, before four, I guess, four is when it closed. And uh, at some point, the wedding party clears out. It's just us. It's like, you know, 12 people left. And I noticed there's a $100 bill on the floor. And I was like, oh. Uh, and I picked it up, and there was a very brief moment. I was like, ah, I should give it to you know, the bar. That would be nice. So this was my birthday. It's my birthday. So I uh, pocketed it. Uh, uh, and then over the course of like the next, I had this $100 bill in my wallet and not much else, maybe, I don't know, 20 bucks or something. And over the next week, I was like, you know, I showed to a few, I was a few friends, like, hey, you know, $100 bill in my, you know. And this is unusual for me, obviously. That's, that's why uh, I was calling attention to it. But uh, anyway, so I was leaving uh, I, from the Midwest. I uh, went to Minnesota every summer with family, northern Minnesota, uh, a cabin on a lake. And my parents were there. I was going to drive. I have a 2006 Honda Civic, which will be a key character in the story. Uh, it's uh, a beater. It's, it's, um, it's a car I bought from my sister uh, about 10 years ago. It has dents that she put in it, dents that I put in it. It's, it's not a pretty thing. But it works, and it, it gets you know, you places. And um, I was, because it's a long drive to Minnesota, it's like 20 hours plus, I was going to leave at 3.30 in the morning. I, leave in the, I live in the middle of Park Slope. Uh, I, again, I've been out very late, many nights in the time leading up to this, so I'm just totally accustomed to, all right, it's 3 in the morning, go for a drive, I'm very awake. And uh, I did 
you know, I got very caffeinated. Uh, I, you know, drank a bunch of caffeine and got coffee. I'm walking out to my car. I'm still kind of doing some packing. And I noticed uh, on the corner, there were, there were three kids. Uh, again, middle park slope. I'm not thinking much about it. I just basically like humming to myself like I'm in my own little musical. Uh, and uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, one of them, very short, like a kid, definitely like just a kid. Like make, make eye contact with him. This is like a child. Uh, but I, he approaches, and as I see him approach, it's kind of clocking, so I'm like arranging things in the back seat, not really paying attention, which is, you know, I think kind of why this happened. Uh, and I'd been out there for a couple minutes, uh, so it wasn't right away. And uh, <laughs> kid's walking up, and I notice, uh, whoa, okay, um, he's kind of like kind of moving side to side. He's wearing a mask over his mouth, and his hoodie's pulled down, uh, which again, like, you know, I don't really take that to mean anything, especially in the context of the pandemic, which we were still in. Uh, but, you know, like something's happening. He's a pro- and, and, and I lift my head and I like my, like initial thought was like, come Mr. Roger. I was like, well, hey, uh, you know, how can I help? And uh, he just keeps getting closer and closer, not saying anything. And I was like, I was like, oh, like you're, you're going to mug it. You're mugging me, huh? And uh, he had these two friends who were much bigger. I barely, like, see them. Uh, and they circle around very fast behind me. And so at the moment that they're behind me, like, there's two huge, you know, bigger kids behind me and this one kid in front of me. That's the moment where, like, you're caught. Like, there's no, you know, like, you know, you think about the action movies, like, you know, Jason Bourne does, like, five different moves. It's like, no, you, you can't see behind you. So it's just not a good idea. Uh, but anyways, so I'm like, I'm like in my head, I'm like, all right, I'm about to go for this drive. I'm a cafe for this drive. I'm going to drive in 20 hours. Okay, I'll give my wallet and I'll figure out, you know, I'll, I'll do something. And they're like, they're like, keys, 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 keys. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, car is packed, like, full, like, like a kid going home from college, like all the clothes I've been wearing for the last, like, three weeks were in a laundry bag in the, in the trunk, along with every laptop I own. And plus all this other crap, just like books and whatnot. I was planning to go to, you know, there for two weeks or whatever. Car is packed full of stuff. And so I'm just like, even it's, and I'm like, also like, can you, it's a, it's a hot, 2006 Honda Civic. What, what, what would you want this for? Uh, but anyways, uh, I, after, uh, you know, it was about eight seconds where I was like, ah, I really don't. And then I was like, okay, head over the keys. At that point, I kind of just like lowered my head and like lifted. I was like, look, guys, take whatever you want. Like, I, I'm not going to look at you. I don't want to, you know, just, just whatever. And they get the wallet, the $100 bill. Uh, they were really, like, they were really happy about it. They're like, oh, you know, and like, and then they're also like, get the fuck away, get the fuck away. So I cross the street I'm, and they get in my car, they turn the car on and like, they're noticing too that like, oh my God, it's like packed full of crap. And, like, and I can like hear them like kind of talking about it. And I'm just like, all right, we'll I have to try some, I'm just going to try to get my laptops out of the back. I have to, you know, like, it was my fucking laptop. It's like, it's like, they're worth more than the car, honestly. And uh, so... <laughs> I was like, hey, you know, guys, uh, like, uh, my, the trunk's full of my clothes. Can I, can I get my clothes out of the trunk? And uh, there's like a, like a talking a bit, a talking. And then, like, it's like 30 seconds. And then, like, he's like, yo, trunk's open, trunk's open. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, you know, in business. So I cross, you know, cross, go across the street. Um, I also have this really evil thought is open the trunk. I'm like, what if I just had like a weapon in here? Like, like Charles, Br- like I could just be a really evil, like the thought just crosses my mind. Like not, I'm just like, I'm a fiction writer. So I'm always like thinking of, you know, absurd scenarios. I think the kids must've had like the same thought in a way. Cause one of them jumps out. He's like, what's that? What's that? What's that? You know, I'm like, oh, it's, uh, 
And there was, so the satchel with my laptops, first thing I grabbed, and then there was this huge bag of laundry, which I put over it, but like not in a very, like, it wasn't really concealed. And they, again, they were like high school age kids. I don't think that they didn't really, didn't want violence. And so I think it was just more checking, like, you know, you're not up to anything. Um, and so I get my stuff, I take across the street. I'm at that moment very proud of myself. I'm like, ah, yeah, save the laptops. Damn, I'm, I'm, I'm real good. And, uh, and the kid who checked on me starts just throwing everything out of the trunk. <laughs> And it's not, it's not just, you know, it's not just stuff for the drive. It's stuff that's been in there for like five years. It's like a duffel bag of old clothes, like a bumper guard, like just, he's just throwing it all out. And like minutes are going by and like, it's this, you know, it's this Park Slope street. Like, you know, there are, it's very, it's not a big street. There are people everywhere. They're all sleeping. Yeah, it's three in the morning. But like, you know, again, like a car alarm goes off or even if one car drives down the street and stops and they're blocked in, like that's a whole thing, right? Um, so his friends start yelling at him and he looks at me. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, man, like you should go. <laughs> and, uh, so he gets in the car and I have this final thought, which is like, okay, well, I still want to make this drive. And, you know, I don't know, I'm like already spinning into the future. Like, I don't know, insurance, like, you know, rental car or something. And I'm like, but the thing that kind of fuels these long drives for me, uh, maybe you all can relate is uh, music. And I had this iPod Classic with like 7,000 songs on it. It's in the center console. I'm like, I need this thing. I, or I need to at least try. Like, I got my laptops. So uh, they're literally pulling out. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, um, like, uh, there's a really, it's a really old, I'm trying to like just really emphasize the word old, like it's the gross, like the old iPod, like it's so old. And, and the center console is like, you know, can I get it back? And, uh, and then I can, like, I, they actually started yelling at each other. I could hear like yelling. And so I'm like, just kind of hugging my head. I was like, all right, well, that's, that's gonna be a big no. Uh, and the car like pulls out of the space and then it stops and the passenger window goes down like eight inches and a hand just reaches out, <laughs> extending the iPod. And so I like dash across the street, grab it. And I'm like, thank you. And then they like drive off with my fucking Honda Civic. Uh, and so the, uh, that's, I mean, that's, you know, courtesy, courtesy, New York courtesy, uh, really, I mean, honestly, I was like, oh, that was, that was, that was nice. I mean, they, like, they threw all my stuff in the street, which actually was, I don't think they meant it this way necessarily, but it was a good strategy because it slowed me from going to call the police. I was like, oh, all my shit's in the street. I gotta, like, get it out of the street first. So, like, 20 minutes before I got to actually, you know, call from a landline. And, uh, but they, the holding the iPod out for me, like, holding it. Like, then it was throw up there, they just held it there. And I was like, oh, okay, there was no reason to do that. Like, that was, that was pretty nice. And, uh, but anyway, so they took the car, they tried to, I mean, this is the, this is the epilogue. They tried to um, uh, mug somebody uh, very close by, like in Union Street, didn't go well. They drove away. Um, and then they went to Nassau County and uh, knocked off a 7-Eleven. And I guess, uh, you know, clerk there wasn't, you know, as agreeable as I was. And I guess they pistol whipped him, I don't know. Uh, and then the police arrived and they led the police on a car chase in my Honda Civic. They crashed the Honda Civic. They all ran for it. And two of them were arrested. And the, I guess the ringleader was like the 16 year old kid. And, uh, and they're like, you know, and the police are all like, yeah, you know, this, this, you know, gang, they, you know, they're, they're trying to get me to say that I saw a gun or I saw, and I was like, I didn't, I really didn't look at all. Like, I have no idea what they had. I, I didn't see anything. But, um, anyways, the, the real epilogue is that these kids had my car for three hours and the police in Nassau County then kept it for three months. And they wouldn't, like, my, they, they were charging my insurance per day for storage on the lot. And, and, like, the Brooklyn rental place would send a tow truck out there, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, sorry, um, COVID this week, so no one was at 
the place or it was just, it would always be a different excuse. And it literally, it happened for like over a month. And, and to the point where the insurance started calling me and like acting as if like I was like in on it or something and like yelling at me. Uh, and I was like, I, I mean, I had nothing, you know, nothing to do with this. In the end, the insurance then paid me the full amount of the car, declared a total loss, even though it wasn't. So I ended up like making like $3,000 on this whole scenario. So uh, that's my, if you're ever like, you're like, oh, how am I gonna make rent this month? Just, uh, you know, uh, get your car taken and <laughs> no, no, that's, that's, that's bad advice. All right, anyways, thanks. <laughs>
uh, a person who I'd worked for for a while when I worked at the Washington Post that's since moved on to work at Bloomberg, the media part, not the smart computer part. Uh, and um, you've heard of you, you've probably heard of it because somebody has tried to sell it to you for forty dollars a month and you've politely declined. The uh, and so uh, she hired me and she hired me to work with her. And so it was my first experience getting headhunted, so I got, like, moved from D.C. up to New York. It was super cool. It was cool to move and never have to touch your stuff. Uh, like a pack, of, a pack of locusts warmed in and just sort of vacuumed me into <laughs> Flatbush. And so I, w I went up to uh, three days after I started at Bloomberg, I was stuck on an elevator with the owner, a guy who used to run New York City. I believe his name is Michael Bloomberg. <laughs> and uh, Mike Bloomberg and I sat on an elevator, the two of us, for... Uh, two minutes and 45 seconds-ish. Uh, and at the end of the second minute, uh, he just sort of looked at himself and just goes, balls. <laughs> and then the elevator door opened and they left. Uh, that's him. That's our guy. Uh, uh, every story about him is true. It's one of the only people that's true about him. Um, okay, number three. Uh, uh, something happens when you meet the person that you are going to ask to marry you or the person that you know you're going to, you're going to just like, oh, this is different. You know, you meet that person. And what happens when you meet that person is that your relationship with, in my case, uh, I believe this is true. And at least I've verified this through at least two other anecdotes. So I'm, 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 I'm calling it. Uh, what happens is that your parents transform like immediately in front of your eyes. Um, before that, like anybody who I was introducing them to was like meeting my parents and how they reacted to my parents was a referendum on them. You know, it was like, how are you going to behave around these people who are just like sort of generally decent and kind, normal people? If you're weird, that is interesting information to learn about you. Uh, but when you meet somebody like, when, when, when you meet somebody and you're like, oh, I'm probably gonna ask this girl to marry me. This seems actually really good. Immediately it flips around and it's like, these are just two boomers that I've got to introduce to the person who I'm going to ask to marry me and how they act as a referendum on them. And none of the experiences went great, to be honest. Like, immediately I was just like, it's you guys? Like, I, 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 never, I never thought I was going to be the people with the in-laws, but I've, I am. I'm the people with the in-laws. Um, and so one of the things that I, that I know about Alex from the very beginning is that as a, as a native New Yorker, because I, I left and came back, you know, she's Bane. She was born in the dark. You know, I had a, you know, that's, it's a movie reference. And so uh, she, what she, one of the things that she never, ever, ever does is wait online for pizza. Like, that's just in, like, she was like, why would you ever do that? Why would you ever do that? And why would you ever do that? What kind of a rube, what kind of a joke are you? There's pizza right there. If you want pizza, just go eat the pizza. Like, they might, like, it's just like a please pickpocket me sign that you're wearing around you. And I was like, whoa, you know, there's, there's experience pizza, isn't there? Like a, like a fucking rube, like a joke. And so uh, one of the ways, one of the places that I really like to go and wait for pizza, like a joke, uh, is a place that I was like, you know, let's take my parents who have never been here to do this, and we're going to go to Totono's in Coney Island back when it existed. Uh, and we're going to go there and get some pizza. I, by the time I had gone there, I'd, I'd, I'd met the lady there. It was awesome. The pizza was great. And so we went and we sat down at a table and we ordered some pizza and we waited. Uh, the minute that I'm referring to is minute number 37 of 52 that we waited. Uh, we sat at a table and we did all the small talk and we did about 10 minutes of medium talk. And uh, Alex let me know that she never waits for pizza. And my parents were wondering when someone was going to bring the food. And my parents continued to wonder when someone was going to bring the food to me as if I knew, as if I worked there, as if I was a brand ambassador to Tono's. 
Uh, and minute number 37 was the minute where I was just like, oh, you know, one of the things that I could do is just walk into the ocean. Uh, let's see. Okay. Uh, my last story. Uh, oh, this is a, this is a, a interrupted drawing of Annie of Walter. So she can have this one afterwards or at the very least I'll sign it. That's, that's what he looks like in art form. Uh, so I, I, I'd always seen it in movies, but I didn't think it would act. I never thought this would happen to me. I got the call while I was at work that Alex was in labor and I was in the middle of a meeting and I got, the, I got the little text message, and I go, I'm sorry, guys, I have to leave. My wife is in labor. And everybody goes like, yeah, cool, we're rad. And I was like, fuck off, guys, see you later. And then I just sort of, in the middle of a, like, in the middle of a meeting, walked out of the office. Uh, that turned into a, a sprint, right, because I had, I had a job to do, you know. This was not something that we expected to happen. My wife was quite surprised to go into labor and have her water break while she was immediately just went down and sat on somebody's couch and was like, ah, something... And then so, so they're in the car, she is no longer driving, so they're crossing the, they're crossing the Williamsburg Bridge, uh, and so my job is to run home and hastily assemble like the hospital bag, because we had just made the, it was, he was uh, a month and change early, so we, were, we had just had the conversation the night before about what goes in the bag. And so I had this freshly made list of what goes in the bag, and I'm just like shoving stuff in an Ikea bag and try to get down there, and I'm running down the street, uh, running down Bleecker Street, to 6th Avenue, which is going uptown because she's at Lenox Hill. And minute number three that I waited to catch a cab was the longest minute of my entire life. Thank you very much. FAQ NYC is a part of the city a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting journalism that serves the people of New York. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to support our work is by setting up a monthly recurring donation at thecity.nyc give. If you already make a monthly donation and want to add a special one-time gift, you can also do that at thecity.nyc give. FAQ NYC also receives support from P&T Knitwear, an independent bookstore, cafe, and event space on Manhattan's Lower East Side with a podcast studio that can be freely reserved for community use. The podcast is a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of independent journalists, critics, and artists, and is affiliated with the Colin Powell School at CUNY City College, where our co-host Christina Greer is one of the Moynihan Public Scholars Inaugural Fellows. Our hosts for this episode were Alex Brooklyn and Harry Siegel, who's also our executive producer. And I'm our engineer, Adam Kimera. Thank you to our storytellers, David Ray Martinez, J.T. Price, Adam Levy, and FAQ NYC and the city's own Katie Honan. And to Annie Nocenti for hosting the Thirst Storytelling Salon. And thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, and we'll be back soon with more.